Welcome to the Girls Talk podcast, where girls talk, girls share, girls listen and girls take control. I'm Adjo Boa and I started Girls Talk because of my own struggles with mental health. The thing that brought me out the other side was knowing I wasn't in this alone, talking about my problems with my girls and moving my body to clear my head. Which is why, every episode, I'm going to invite my friends to talk, share, listen and take control of our shit. Because together, we will become individually and collectively stronger, inspire each other and create a badass community. So, listen to us when you need to put your headphones in, block out the noise and surround yourself with the tools to control whatever chaos is in your life. Hi to all my lovely listeners. It's been a busy month at Girls Talk and we've been talking all things migration. I would have to say it's probably been one of my favourite months. I've learnt so much. As always, you've been sending us the most extraordinary of submissions that I've absolutely loved reading. Now, I'm going to tell you what this episode is about and I want you to promise me that you're not going to switch off when you hear the word Brexit. 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 Brexit! But don't worry, it won't be as bad as it sounds. We have an amazing guest who's been campaigning against Brexit since he realised the untruths and misinformation that was being fed to the public. He's since founded his own campaign called Our Future, Our Choice that is fighting for the rights of the youth and for their overwhelming vote to remain. I have personally lost complete track of what's going on with the Brexit negotiations. I feel like overwhelmed by all the information. I don't know what to believe. It's It sometimes feels too much. So I want this episode to bring us all up to date and hopefully re-energise us on the topic as it's such an important one that will affect all of our futures. So let's get this Brexit episode started. Hi, Femi. Hi, Adwa. Yeah, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank to you for inviting me. Educate myself and my lovely listeners. Oh my God, this is a mammoth subject. Indeed. But you couldn't be a better person to educate us on it. So first of all, I think we should just start not at the beginning, but kind of at the beginning. I want you to like break it down. Like what is going on? With Brexit. Okay, so um, <laughs> uh, on on a basic level, fifty two percent of people of, peop- of voters in two thousand sixteen voted to leave the European Union. Now they voted for Brexit on a number of different reasons. Uh, could have been to do with uh, having more control over the country because, as members of the EU, we make laws together, and they perhaps they wanted to make laws by themselves as British laws for British people. Blah blah blah. Um, or it could have been because they were promised that because we give money to the EU, um, we might be able to keep some of that money and be, be richer as a result. And we've just spent the last two years negotiating a deal that takes us out of the EU. And we now have a deal that most people who voted for Brexit do not like. So we have a Brexit that Brexit voters don't like. And now our parliament is in utter chaos. And has been since, well, since for two years, but especially since November, because that's when they realized, hang on, this is the deal. It's not going to change. And nobody wants it on the Remain or the Leave side. Because I read one of the news reports on your on your 
our future, our choice website. And there was a, a breakdown of, which I hadn't seen actually, of the 40 reasons to to vote to leave. Mm. And it seemed from the little un, like information that I, I, I have about why people wanted to leave, that none of those reasons have been met. Yeah. So where, where do I start with this one? So the idea of having more control over the country. Right now, the UK, as a member of the EU, has 73 of the 750 members of the European Parliament, the place where the laws are passed in the European Union. Now, that means that we have roughly 10% of the voting power of the EU. And given that there are 28 countries, if you do the maths, that means that we have three times the voting power of the average EU country. We just negotiated a deal that means we follow the rules of the EU, but have no say at all. So if you wanted to take back control, which is one of the slogans that was used in 2016 to get people to vote for Brexit, we're actually giving up control. So it's doing the exact opposite of what most Brexit voters wanted. Uh, If you wanted to help the NHS, some of you may remember that there was that um, bus that said that there would be £350 million a week extra for the NHS if we voted to leave the EU. Well, right now, the Royal College of Nurses, the Royal College of Midwives, the Royal College of GPs, the Royal College of Radiologists, and the British Medical Association, so that is the entire British medical community, are all saying that any version of Brexit will be harmful to the NHS. So if you voted for Brexit to help the NHS, Brexit is screwing you over. And, I mean, going back to the 2016 referendum, we were given the choice, and I voted to remain... But what they were the information, what was mm. this misleading information? There was obviously a lot of concentration on immigration laws. Mm. I had certain family members who voted to to leave regarding like um farming and fishing mm. and all sorts of things, but I didn't really understand either. And I also read your report about the effects that it would have on the youth. Mm. Obviously, there was a large majority of the youth that voted to remain, but also there was a large majority majority that didn't vote at all. Mm. Um, can we go back to that and just like kind of, there was quite a few questions in that, but like just break it down for us. What, so what went wrong? As far as, I mean, put yourself in my, in my position. This is kind of why I got started. What was the percent, sorry, before you talk, what was the percentage of the youth that, so obviously it was more like older people. 73% of 18 to 24 year olds voted to stay in the EU. So uh, the generation most affected by Brexit is the generation that voted most strongly against okay. it, yeah. uh, which is an injustice that spurred us on to create our future, our choice. As for what happened in 2016, I mean, put yourself in my position. I studied law at uni, specializing in EU law. I'd worked in Brussels um, for a couple of years. I knew the basics of EU law, and I saw that the country was having this massive debate on Brexit on the EU, and they weren't being given the basic facts. So you had David Cameron um, saying, or who was our Prime Minister at the time, saying that uh, if we voted to leave the EU, we'd have lots and lots of job losses, lots and lots of, um, we'd have an immediate economic recession, massive harm, we'd, we'd all be poor. But didn't explain why. He said that it'd be so damaging if we left the single market. Didn't explain what the single market was. Now, let me just do that for you right now. Imagine if you wanted to sell beer, some product, whatever, to 28 different countries. But those 20 different countries had different laws for what you could call beer. 
one country might say it has to have this amount of alcohol, this amount of barley or whatever. You'd have to manufacture, market and package your product in 28 different ways. Now, what would that do to your costs? You'd lose money. You'd lose money. Yep. Uh, It would make it so much more expensive to to sell your product. And what would that do to supermarket prices? It would send them through the roof. It would make supermarket prices higher and it would make standard of living lower. So by making laws together as 28 countries in the EU, any, any business that wants to sell to those 28 different countries only needs to make one version of their product and it's legal across the board. And they also have this thing called mutual recognition, which means that in those areas where the EU hasn't made a rule, as long as it meets the requirements of your home country, the UK, it's legal to sell across the whole of the EU. And again, that lowers costs for businesses, which lowers prices in the supermarket, which makes things easier for you. Now, I just explained the single market in about 40 seconds. David Cameron had five months and didn't bother to do it. That is an utter failure. And it's so bad that October last year, so two years after the Brexit vote, the BBC was still pumping out a definition of the single market, which basically said it means no tariffs. Nothing to do with regulations. They said it meant just no tariffs. Now, that is so harmful because that means that we can just get a deal, which means we, which means that there's no tariffs, then somehow we wouldn't have lost anything. When no, as I just explained, the main benefit of being in the EU is making those laws together to simplify things for businesses and make life easier. So, and then there's also Nigel Farage, the narrative around migration. Now, at the time of the referendum, the narrative he was spilling out was this idea that they come here, it's completely uncontrolled, they're coming to live off benefits, clog up the NHS. Now, this is a direct quote from Nigel Farage from the 2016 referendum. There is nothing we can do to stop unlimited numbers of people from EU countries settling in this country and enjoying the same rights and privileges as all the rest of us. Yeah, so I then called him up about a year later on his radio show on LBC. And I asked him, yes, you say that it was uncontrolled, this idea that the EU's forcing immigration on us. And I said, all right, but I'm, I'm looking here, Article 7 of the Citizens' Rights Directive of the EU. And it says that in order to come to another EU country and live there for more than three months without a job, you need to either have a job or you need to have both enough money not to become a burden on the welfare state and your own comprehensive medical insurance. So when you say that they come here, live off benefits and clog up the NHS, that's a lie. And he admitted, yes, there are restrictions that can be placed. Hang on. Uh, your main point in the 2016 referendum was that immigration was completely uncontrolled and there was nothing we could do. And now you're saying there are restrictions that can be placed. This is Nigel Farage. This is the guy who pretty much pressured the, the mm-hmm. Tory government to hold in the referendum in the first place. His main point, he admitted that it was a lie after he got us to vote to leave the EU. And on top of that, this idea that immigration from EU countries is somehow a burden on the NHS. Citizens from EU countries make up 5% of the UK's population and they make up 10% of our doctors. Mm -hmm. So immigration from EU country is literally, and I mean literally, keeping this country alive. And yet he painted this idea that they're coming here and they're a burden when we desperately need them. We have a serious NHS crisis and Nigel Farage has turned the country into doing something which is going to result in fewer doctors in our NHS. So going back, thank you for that, going back to um, the Leave campaign and why it was so ineffective at, well, it's like, you know, ineffective at persuading the youth, but so effective at persuading older voters. Mm. Obviously, you talked about immigration and um, the tariffs and single... Single market. Single market. I'm getting there. (laughs) Um... What were some of what were some of the 
Why were they so successful in mm. persuading older voters? They, um, yeah. I think to a certain extent, they played on nostalgia. Yeah. I mean, I mean you have this idea of take back control as if things were better in the past. And so that concept of Britain standing on its own, Britain ruled, Britannia ruled the waves, it was very, very powerful for, for many people. And there is a generational difference here. Um, we, we can't shy away from that. Our generation, um, I mean, I'm, I'm 29, I was 26 when I voted, voted um, in the European Union referendum. We are more connected to the outside world than any generation before us. We tweet American presidents, we go on holiday in Spain, we play FIFA with people in Japan. We, are, we don't see borders the same way. And so the idea of seeking to cut ourselves off from the continent that's cheapest for us to physically get to goes against all of our values. I mean, you can actually look at it on um, this way. Because of the timings of when the EU treaties came about, anyone born after, the, after 1972, mm-hmm. the only identity they've ever had as, as an adult is being both a British and an EU citizen. And that is the exact demographic the voted remain. So it is those of us who've only ever known being a European citizen, that feeling of connection to the rest of Europe, those are the ones that wanted to stay in the EU. Um, and uh, there's, there's a certain element of people not being open to change that may have affected the older voters more than young people. There was a, I obviously had a read of your document on our future, our choice about the kind of the negative things that will happen for the youth in terms of Brexit. And I really loved what it said, what um, Dr. Manmit Bambra said. And she said, there are many reasons why young people are more pro-European in their outlook. Certainly, theirs too is an intersectional outlook that takes into account the above-mentioned issues of socioeconomics, jobs, and so forth. But evidence also shows that young people also have a more open, multicultural, internationalist, inclusive outlook, which also impacts their voting behaviour. And that was exactly, you know, the way I looked about it. Mm. But I'm also from a multicultural city, Mm. London. And one, you know, there was also a bit in this where it said, you know, when we heard the results, I mean, I sobbed, I cried so badly. But then quickly after we went, my sister and I went to visit some family members that live um, outside of London. As soon as we left London, we saw massive Brexit posters, um, mm. massive, that, I mean, already just after we were in this little village up north and we felt like pretty terrified, actually. Yeah. What was it that we missed? Well, I mean, because I was complete. you know, the people I follow, the people, most of the people that I'm friends with, mm-hmm. all, va- all voted to um, remain. That's the thing. Um, in 2016, at the start, I was just a Facebook guy. I told myself I'd never get onto Twitter because it would take over my life, given that Facebook has already taken over my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I realized in 2016, right at the start, that everyone in my friendship group, I'd either convinced that they needed to vote remain or they were already going to vote remain. I was in an echo chamber. I only had this to, was on Facebook. This was on Facebook. Yeah, I had to move on to Twitter to get other other opinions. Yeah, and that is really the thing that divide in the country. It's always been there. Brexit pretty much exposed it. We have a country if we, that is deeply unfair uh, in terms of regional inequality. If you were born in Hull or Swansea 
or uh, Sunderland, you do not have the same opportunities as somebody born in Greater London because the businesses simply aren't there. The transport infrastructure simply isn't there. If you look, if you try and if you put in Google Maps, uh, I want to go from Swansea in south of Wales to Bangor in the north of Wales, it takes you via Shrewsbury. You have to go literally outside of Wales to get to another part of Wales. Now, people in those areas are not happy with that, as so they should, shouldn't be. And I often say, imagine if you were born in Sunderland, say you're 50 years old, and Sunderland's in the northeast, it's near Newcastle, and you saw Margaret Thatcher close the shipyards where your dad used to work, and he went unemployed. And for 30 years, you saw no investment in your area. You saw no jobs being created, no factories being opened. Meanwhile, you watched London get richer and more and more developed, more 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 infrastructure coming in. I mean, when's the last time you saw an underground sub- tube system in Hull? Mm-hmm. And you voted Labour all your life because you saw what Margaret Thatcher did, and you hate the Tories. But nothing ever changes, no matter what you, no matter how many times you voted Labour, nothing ever changed because you know, well, Labour knows that they're never going to lose in the northeast because yeah, and they also and the Tories know they're never going to win there. So there's no actual incentive to make your life better politically speaking. And then here comes this thing called Brexit. This thing that we're being told could mean more money for your area. This thing that could uh, really shake up politics, give the establishment that has ignored you for decades a real kicking. And the only person telling you to vote remain is David Cameron. I'd vote leave. I mean, that... the. The the absolute anger in those areas is the complete inequality of this country. I fully get it, and I'm more on their on their side than a lot of the people that are on are want to keep the status quo. Because if you want status quo, you don't even deserve to stop Brexit because it means you have heard the cries of people who are crying out saying this country isn't working for me or my area, you're and you listening to and me. you're not listening to mm-hmm. them. But unfortunately. Brexit is just going to make things worse for those people. If you take Sunderland as a concrete example, there's a Nissan factory there that sends 70% of its cars to mainland Europe. Mm. And 35,000 jobs depend on that factory. Now, if there is a barrier between us and where they send 70% of their cars, be that having different regulations, different rules, having to check stuff at the border, having tariffs when they sell their parts across the border, then if you're Nissan, you know that if your car is based, if your factory is based in Sunderland in the UK, 70% of your cars are going to face an extra cost. Whereas if it was based in, say, Frankfurt and somewhere in another, another European country, only 30% of your cars would face a cost coming this way. So where are you going to put your factory? And what happens to those 35,000 jobs? It is those areas that are the most left behind that will be the worst hit by Brexit. And people in London, people in the big cities, they never saw it coming because they haven't lived that life. And what, I know you do your bus tours, mm. have you been, and I want to talk about, you know, the fu- the future, the now, mm. but what have you, you know, the stories of maybe the people you've heard that initially had voted to, um, to leave, have these stories changed, have these opinions changed, now they have more information, now you're, you know, part of the, you know, the major reasons why they're getting more information. Some have changed their mind. Yeah. Um, there's definitely been a shift. It's been small, though, okay. um, uh, because unfortunately, there's been this narrative that, uh, well, we didn't manage to get a good deal, so we'll just leave without a deal. 
And so many people on the Brexit side are switching towards being in favor of leaving the EU without a deal at all, which is extremely problematic. And I can get into that later. But it does mean that it's not been as much of a shift as one would hope. Uh, But I mean, the polls say right now, in general, the polls say that more people would want to stop Brexit rather than continue with it. But the shift, the shift is small. However, when we do go to, when you actually have that conversation with one-on-one, it's not a difficult conversation to have. Unfortunately, the media has a louder voice. If you go to somebody who voted for Brexit, and this is the great thing about actually touring the country, not just seeing what people say online, actually going and meeting them in their own high streets. What, what, how do you think the negotiations are going? This is what I'd asked them about a year ago. They'd say terribly. Um, all right, what did you want from Brexit? They'd say um, more control, more sovereignty. I say, all right. Right now, the UK is a member of the EU, has 73 of 750 members of the European Parliament, meaning we have three times the voting power of the average EU country. We just negotiated a deal that means we follow those rules, but with no say at all. What do you think of that? That's disgusting. It's a direct quote. Um, and, all right, well, if Brexit is going to result in something that means less control when you wanted more control, do you think that people should have a say on that? Absolutely. There you go. That's why we need a referendum on the deal we've just negotiated. And that's what we've been campaigning for for the past two years. Um, but unfortunately, this narrative around no deal, its it's been peddled by some of the hardcore Eurosceptics. The same people that um, told us we get a great deal are now saying we all voted for no deal. So, I mean, Nigel Farage went on TV uh, last week uh, with, with Andrew Marr. And he told people that, that, that he, told, he was saying that promoting the idea of leaving without a deal. And Marr, thank God, finally called him out and said, hang on, in 2015, you said, if Norway, Iceland and Switzerland can get deals that suit them, we can do something far, far better than that. We, and Norway has its own deal. We will choose our own deal. Then he says that people voted for no deal. He convinced us to vote for Brexit on the basis of getting a good deal with the EU. And now he's saying we all voted for no deal. It is a con. And regarding, and, and it's not even a con that's difficult to, to refute because, I mean, no deal means you don't have a deal with the European Union. Now, there is no country in the world, no successful economy in the world that doesn't have a trade deal with its closest neighbors. So if we left the EU without a deal, we'd be doing something that every successful economy in the world chooses specifically not to do. There is no world in which that doesn't make us poor. And that's, that's, that's what's so upsetting about this. And, you know, obviously, uh, as part of, you know, your bigger campaign of our future, our choice, you are energising the youth um, because we will be and our, you know, ones behind us will be the ones that that face the ramifications of Mm. what might happen. Because now, obviously, since 2016, there are more people that could possibly have the the opportunity to vote. We could be stronger, ones that didn't vote now might have the information to have their exactly. their own opinion are you feeling a new a new um energy in the youth in terms of in terms of a new referendum brexit in general yeah in, in general young people overwhelmingly as i said voted remain and they're getting increasingly angry with the fact with the mess that's being made of their futures i mean it's when we when we tour the country and go to and go speak to young people across across the country at the start well Young people have always been anti-Brexit, but at the start it was, well, we think Brexit is a disaster, but we don't know how to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they realize, hang on, Parliament has been in utter standstill chaos for the past six months. 
there is a chance here that we can turn this whole thing around because if the Brexit voters aren't getting what they want, why the hell are we doing this? Um, and so, and this is, as you said, this is going to affect young people more than anybody else. And the reason why um, it's so painful for them is, as I said, we're more connected to the outside world than any generation before us. And it's about just what sort of country you want to live in and mm-hmm. what sort of opportunities you want to have. Right now, we have the ability to live, work, and love in 31 countries in Europe. That is our right by birth because we are both British and EU citizens. Now, that means that, um, I mean, me personally, I did Erasmus in France. Uh, Honestly, best year of my life. Uh, I was studying in a French university, studying law. And uh, because um, Erasmus is kind of language-based, because language-based courses are, I think, like 70, 80% female most romantically complicated year of my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I did uh, a ski season uh, where I was basically working in a sh- in a chalet doing customer services, cleaning toilets, removing pool covers. Um, and I had the automatic right to work there because I, w- I am an EU citizen. Now, post-Brexit, the Tory pa- immigration policy is that it's going to be, you need to be making at least £30,000 to come to this country. So what happens when EU countries decide to do the same to us? Suffice to say, when I was working and cleaning toilets and doing customer services, I was not making 30k. So we're talking about a massive loss of opportunity for young people in this country who will not be making 30,000 pounds in their first job. And it is just darkening the futures. We should be out there. And it's not just the fact that we're losing the opportunity. It's the fact that We'll be competing against Europeans who will still have those opportunities. If you if you're if you're from if you're a Sp- if you're a Spanish person or a French person or a German person, you'll still have the opportunity after Brexit to work in any other country across the, across the EU. It'll be Brits, but we trapped on our own island. And so, if you're if somebody's looking at a if if an, if an international organization is looking for people that they want to employ, and it's got uh, somebody who's uh, somebody from Spain who's had the ability to work in in countries across Europe for all their life and they've been, they've been working in different countries since they were 18 and then they could look at somebody in, in England who's never worked in an international environment in his life who are they going to choose mm-hmm. we're literally disadvantaging ourselves what are some of you know for our listeners what are some of the other detriments that will happen with the no deal Brexit for the youth for everyone uh, so, you know obviously you've said a lot but I think it's important that yeah. and you know it's like I said you know I'm I'm overwhelmed by, you know, misinformation that's coming from the media, all sorts Mm. of opinions. So it almost feels like I don't know the right questions to ask for, um, you know, for our listeners and myself, just just break it down. Okay, so (laughs) no deal Brexit, as I mentioned, because because all countries do most of their trade with the countries that are physically close by. Mm hmm we'd be doing something that every successful economy has chosen not to do. So, yeah. that, so, f- so first of all, there's just the basic logic that we'd be poor and that you'd be poor and that your supermarket, pr- your weekly shop will be harder. And then there's the issues regarding no deal um, because no deal means no deal with the EU on everything. If you take like little concrete examples, like uh, Euratom is the European program which lets us um, trans- tra- transport safely radioactive materials. Now, we need to be part of that program so we can trans- transport uh, chemotherapy and, and radioactive treatments for cancer. So that's one of the reasons why the Royal College of Radiologists has said we can't have a no-deal Brexit. It would be catastrophic for patients in the UK. Um, that's why the British Medical Association said that no-deal Brexit would be catastrophic for the, for the NHS. 
one of the big ones, I mean, I've mentioned the economic damage and I give the example of the Nissan factory, but one of the big ones that wasn't talked about, and I'm going to try and explain this as quickly as I can because it is highly complicated, but Northern Ireland. So let's just say there was a disagreement of whether or not Northern Ireland should be part of the UK or part of a United Ireland of Ireland. Now that disagreement, um, you could say it's gone on for hundreds of years, but it really came to a head um, in at the end of the last century. 30 years of bloodshed, 3,600 people dead, um, both in Northern Ireland, Ireland, and the rest of the UK. Now, they came to an agreement, uh, which was called the Good Friday Agreement or the Belfast Agreement, which basically said that Northern Ireland is officially part of the UK, but we don't have like security infrastructure at the border. So the people who want the, it to be United Ireland of Ireland also feel that their country is still whole, whereas officially it'll be part of the UK. Mm-hmm. That was the compromise. Uh, so that means that there's no physical infrastructure at that border. So no need for customs checks. And we were able to do that because we're both Ireland and the UK are both in the EU. So we have the same standards, same product rules, same consumer protection rules on beef and food. So nothing needs to be checked when it crosses the border. Yep. No tariffs or anything. A no-deal Brexit means there are tariffs between Northern Ireland and the rest of, of Ireland. Oh my God, I didn't, I didn't know this. So it means, you'd, it means that products would need to be checked and, uh, in terms of tariffs and in terms of consumer safety and, and standards and, and protection at that border. Now, if you do that, then you're going to have to have physical infrastructure at that border. And it is so tense, tense in that area. I mean, we, we saw a journalist killed there a couple of weeks ago. And it is so tense there that if you even put up a sign, like a Welcome to Ireland sign, that gets torn down. People do not like the idea of things separating the North and the South. And you are basically creating a massive, massive security risk. And there is no limit to how bad that can get because we saw how bad it can get. We got it, it got at the end of the last century, and we, and there, I mean, there was a a week last last year where I think it was seventy four bombs were used in in Derry. To think that this issue is closed and something from last century, it's not closed at all. Um, most of Northern Irish politics is centered around that disagreement as to whether or not Northern Ireland should be part of the UK or not, and a No Deal Brexit basically rips up the script. Um, and anything can happen. Now, they talk about how it can be solved with technology um, at the border, but if there's no physical infrastructure there, then you can't stop people smuggling. And if we allow that to happen, the EU, well, the, just put, put it this way, one of the plans that we have post-Brexit is to make a deal with Donald, Donald Trump, with America. And his standards of beef, uh, well... So he would be, that would be our, the, the trade agreement. That would be a trade. start trading... Uh, yeah, we, that would be our main trade agreement that, with America. Exactly. Okay. There's a hope that we're going to lean into trade with America, but will that happen? Um, I mean, it, it, I don't want to have anything to. It, sorry, yeah, that's I, another conversation. Yeah, I know. That's another conversation. But, I mean, we've already seen Theresa May like cap in hand, um, ready to basically sign up to whatever Donald Trump was. We were the last people to condemn his Muslim ban because we were so desperate to get a trade deal. Brexit has weakened us on the international stage. Let's be clear on that one. Um, but if we, when we, if we leave the EU, the first place we're going to look for for a deal is going to be America. And Mr. America first, Donald Trump, isn't going to want us to have the same regulations as the EU does. The EU, the, the, America does not regulate its food anywhere near as well as um, the EU does. In fact, the EU is pretty much terrified of American food because it's just so substandard and so unhealthy. Yeah. 
Now, if we start importing beef from America, food from America, which the EU deems to be unsafe, that means there's going to be food in Northern Ireland which doesn't meet the standards of the EU. So to protect its own people, the EU will have to check products at that border. And that means you're basically screwing up the Good Friday Agreement, which is a peace process over 20 years that has saved that countless lives. So a no-deal Brexit is very, very bad from that perspective. And I mean, I'm, I'm going to try and present some of the positives of Brexit um, because I, I want to try and present some balance so you know how to speak to people. The idea behind Brexit was taking back control. Yeah. Um, that was the basic premise that if, we, if we're no longer in the EU, we make all, all our own laws by ourselves. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way. As I, as I said before, if we, the, our being in the EU means that we have the same laws as the EU, which makes it a lot easier and cheaper for businesses to trade. And if we left the EU without a deal, a, uh, as I mentioned, what happened with what would happen with that Nissan factory? Yeah, yeah. That would happen across the UK for younger businesses. For young, yeah, yeah, all across the board. Yeah. So I mean, it has the double whammy of a, we're no longer part of the European market, which means that it no longer makes sense to base businesses here if you want to sell to the whole of the EU. Which means that jobs will leave this country, and because we're no longer EU citizens. We won't even be able to follow those jobs. And we were told we'd get, you know, people were told they'd get more jobs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if we left without a deal and didn't follow the rules of the EU, that's what would happen. If we chose to follow the rules of the EU in order to prevent that from happening, well then, why have we left? It means you're following the rules, but you're no longer at the decision-making table in making those rules. So Brexit voters would be deeply unhappy because they'd end up poorer and with less control when they wanted to be richer with more control so it's i mean another another argument for positive i mean lots of positives they exist but they all come with downsides so for example fish there's the idea that if we left the eu we'd have total control over uk waters yeah um we catch our own fish and we no longer have people catching their own fish here a uh okay so yes we'd have more control over our fish true but we'd also lose access to fishing in the waters of other European Union countries. What is it? It's 50% of all fish caught in this country are sold to EU countries. So given that if we left the EU without a deal, uh, the tariffs that the EU puts on fish coming from outside the EU would then face 50% of our fish. So that means that, means that 50% of our fishing industry would become less profitable. It's... The, the, and the and thing is, you never hear this stuff on, on the news. They just say control of fish. No, hang on. What does that actually mean? It means that you're then cutting yourself off from the place where you sell most of your fish to. Doesn't make sense. Okay, so the march that wasn't that long ago. Mm. Was that, was, did that help? Uh, well, it, it, made, it was a, a very, very strong show of force. Yeah. A, a million, uh, well, uh, I think possibly less than a million, between 700,000 and, and a million people showed up in, in London to march in the street and basically say, we need a vote on this deal. We need to, we need to, right now there are three options that we, three avenues we could possibly take. Okay, as a yeah, let's break that down because I know we've got option. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. You tell me about the three options that we as Remainers want. Well, there, there are three possible ways that this could go. We either stay in oh, okay. the, we either stay in the EU, we leave without a deal, or we leave with a deal that's been negotiated. Those are, those are the only three ultimate outcomes. Now, What's the okay? So should we break down the deal that they've that the EU have proposed? Okay, so we just spent the past three years negotiating, well, two years negotiating a deal 
And that deal basically... Well, have you just told me all of that? Uh, not for... Well, I said that it, it, it um, means we follow the rules with no say. Yeah, yeah. But in concrete terms, it means for the first two years, we have to follow the rules with no say completely. So whatever any rule the EU makes, we automatically follow. But we won't be at the decision-making table anymore. But then after that, we either... And there are two ways it can go. Uh, we Well, three ways. Uh, we either um, negotiate a new deal. Um, so, that, so after the two-year transition period, we negotiate a new deal. But that deal would have to solve the Northern Irish border situation, which pretty much will mean that we end up following the rules with no say again, because in order to have the same rules as the EU, so they don't need to check stuff at the border. Or we enter the backstop, where, which basically, again, does the same thing, but it means Northern Ireland basically stays in the EU, whilst the rest of the UK just stays in the trade policy of the EU. It's complicated, but the upshot of it is we end up with less control over the country. That's why most Brexit voters fundamentally hate that deal. And so many of them are pivoting to option three, which is no deal. It's leaving the EU without a deal. But that wasn't what they were promised in 2016 at all. It is the most extreme version of Brexit. And they spent a long time telling us that the EU need us more than we need them. That Therefore, they'll bend over backwards to give us any deal we want. Yeah. So exactly. to say that they all voted for no deal is simply a lie. But where we are right now, and this is why I believe that the most likely outcome of this whole mess is a referendum on the Brexit deal, is that if you're an MP, it's not in your interest to allow any version of Brexit to go through. Because if you allow the deal to go through, you're allowing you're voting for a deal that you know that your Brexit voters and your Remain voters both don't like. So it's electoral self-harm. And then if you vote for no deal, obviously you lose Remainers, but... Brexit voters, even those that say they want no deal now, when they start losing their jobs before the next election, they'll be screaming, hang on, we didn't vote for this. You promised us we get a great deal. So it's not in your interest to allow voters Brexit. The best way that you can avoid responsibility and avoid blame is to say, all right, we've negotiated a deal. People, what do you think? Now that means a referendum where you have a choice between the deal we've just negotiated or membership of the EU. And that's what I think is the most likely outcome. However, the big barrier between us and that is the European elections because they are terrifying me right now. Absolutely terrifying me. In 2014, only 34% of us turned up to the European elections. As a result, UKIP won those elections, a party led by Nigel Farage. And we can get onto his racist stuff in a second, but yeah, he's been the face of the UK for five years. And he's now ahead in the polls in what he's called the new Brexit party, which would mean that if, if we stayed in the EU, he'd still be the face of the country for a total of 10 years. And I think this country is better than that. We have to be better than that. Young people need to be voting because otherwise he will be setting the plan. Now, as far as what he is, and by the way, the European elections are on, the, are on May 23rd, so Thursday. So if you're registered to vote, you need to make sure you vote um, on that day. What he is... Um, you may remember from 2016, he had a poster which he unveiled, which showed uh, Syrian refugees behind him, uh, all supposedly coming into this country. He called it the Breaking Point poster. Was it the barbed wire? What was it? Um, it was. It showed like a snaky line of, of oh, Syrian yeah, refugees, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it said Breaking Point, and, this, and the line beneath it said, uh, "We need to break free of, of the EU so we can control our own borders." Now that poster was fundamentally racist. Now, I have to say a couple of things here. One, we need to be extremely careful with the word racist because 
too many people on the Remain side have been so liberal with their use of that word in terms of calling everybody who votes for Brexit racist. When, as I just explained, if you live in an area that's been left behind, that gets nothing from Westminster, and you saw a chance to give the establishment a kicking, you would take that chance. It has nothing to do with racism. However, many of them are turning to people like Nigel Farage because he's the only one that seems to be calling for change. But Nigel Farage, the change that he's talking about is a very, very dark one. And a racist one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, why is that poster racist? Because the UK is not part of the EU's common asylum policy, which means unlike other EU countries, we don't have any quotas for refugees we need to take in, which means that none of the people in that photograph had any rights to enter this country under EU law. Yet he chose specifically people of Middle Eastern ethnic background to scare people about immigration from European countries. That is fundamentally racist because it means I think brown people are scarier than white people. Therefore, I'll use brown people, even if they have nothing to do with Brexit, to scare people about immigration. And you'll, if, you, if you make this point, you will have people telling you, no, but once they come to, the, once they come to say, Germany, They'll stay there for a couple of, they'll stay there and they'll get EU citizens, citizenship and then come here. Firstly, uh, to, get a, to get German citizenship uh, as a refugee, you need, to be stay, you need to stay in Germany for at least seven years. You need to then apply for German citizenship. Uh, to pass the test, you need to at least be speaking fluent German, have a job, be integrated in society. Um, at which point, if, you, if you're successful, you are a German citizen. So tell me, why is a German citizen problematic simply because he happens to be of Syrian ethnic background. It's a fundamentally racist ideology that this man is peddling. But because he's seen as to be the one that's given the establishment a kicking, people who aren't racist are are about to vote for him in the European elections. And that terrifies me because we already have a serious problem with the conversation being utterly poisonous, utterly divisive, utterly aggressive because you have people on the Remain side calling Brexit voters racist because they voted for something that was led by a racist, even if Brexit voters themselves aren't racist. Mm-hmm. And I see the country being torn apart yeah. if he's the one leading, leading, leading the country. And he doesn't even have a manifesto. He's running, he's, he's, he's ahead in the polls and has said he's not having a manifesto. So we've got a man at the head of a party, controlling the party, completely unaccountable to any promises made because he hasn't, li- he hasn't written them down. And he's ahead in the polls and he's about to become the face of the UK for another five years. I am terrified. And if he wins, then we're going to argue that we're the country that elects far-right politicians. We're the country of Nigel Farage. One could argue that that country wouldn't even deserve to be members of the European Union. And that's why I've spent the last month and a half just basically. I mean, would they even really want us if we just decide if we we got one of the options you talked about about having a another referendum? Well, I mean, if Nigel Farage, if the biggest contingent of of Brits in the European Parliament is one headed by Nigel Farage, and let's look at what he does there. Yeah, yeah. he claims to be this big champion of um, of British fishermen, but he was a member of the Fisheries Committee for three years. There were forty two meetings. He showed up to one of them. When he does show up, you've seen the videos online, he just insults everybody. Now, we have three times the voting power of the average EU country, the three times as many MEPs, members of the European Parliament, of the average EU country. Therefore, we should be one of the most influential countries in in Europe. Yet, if we're electing people who just go there to insult people, who don't take part in the democratic processes, who never vote for anything, we are silenced democratically. And the irony is, 
we have more democratic say in the European Parliament than in the UK Parliament, because in the European Parliament, it's proportional representation, which means that every vote counts. Um, whereas in the UK, your vote only counts if you're in a constituency where your vote, where you're, you happen to win. Whereas most votes in the UK don't count because it's done by constituency and you vote for an MEP in your constituency. Yeah. And so I've been screaming for the last month and a half, we have to all vote because Nigel Farage does not win national elections. He doesn't win general elections. Otherwise he'd be prime minister. In fact, he's tried to get a national, he's tried to win a national elections seven times. He's never become an MP. But the reason why he won in 2014 was because only 34% of us bothered to turn up. Now, if we ha- now if we, but if we do in next week on Thursday, get enough people turning up, um, then we will have the same sort of people voting up. We'll have moderate people turning up, and Nigel Farage will not win. But we have to take notice because it's likely, as I mentioned before, that we end up staying in the referendum, staying in the EU, because the, another referendum is pretty much the only way out of this mess. But if Nigel Farage wins, we're in a very dangerous territory. So vote. 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 Yeah. On Thursday. On Thursday, yeah. I mean, actually, I just want to end it with this, because I think it's important with the subject that we've been talking about, um, migration. How will Brexit affect refugees and people living here without British citizenship? So, often when you uh, talk about how people from other countries who don't necessarily have British citizenship, who live here, might be harmed by Brexit, People on the Brexit side, they'll say, don't worry, we're a great country, we'll, they'll, be, they'll be fine, we'll, it'll work itself out. One word, Windrush. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've already seen what happens with people who are actually British citizens mm-hmm. when, Sent back. Yeah, when, when, yep. when there is a, 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 an anti-migrant sentiment uh, in, in, in the country. People who should have a right to stay here, let alone people who haven't got British citizenship. And... My favorite speech throughout this entire thing was from a girl who was 16 at the time. Her name is Jess Gotkins. She's the um, daughter of a, her, I think her dad is a German and her mum is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is from the Windrush generation. And she did this amazing speech in Parliament called Check Your Privilege. Mm-hmm. And she said that, she said that when, you, when you create a hostile environment for, for illegal migrants, you create a hostile environment for all migrants and those deemed to look like migrants. And Nigel Farage, he tipped his hand as to where he's going next. Because first it, first it was EU migrants, then it's, and, and then he showed that he wasn't even about people from EU, EU countries. It was about, it's now about Syrian refugees. It's just going to get worse and worse. I mean, he says things like, um, uh, they come here and they take our jobs. But when it comes to like doctors, oh, we shouldn't be stealing doctors from other countries. So he has a problem with low-skilled immigration and high-skilled immigration. Therefore, he has just a problem with immigration in general. And you can see that this is going down a very dark road in terms of the way we treat people who we don't deem to be British enough. I'm using air quotes, by the way. You can't see it on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, that's, and that's just terrifying because he's now controlling the narrative. Both of the two major parties, Labour and, and the Tories, they're completely just torn to shreds by this Brexit mess, which they're trying to, quote unquote, deliver, even though they know that they can't deliver a version that anybody wants. And that's the biggest, like, misdirection in terms of this whole Brexit mess, which is, from a democratic standpoint, 16 million people voted to stay in the EU, which means we voted for a relationship with the EU 
that was defined by two international treaties, decades of legislation and UK law and cement and fix in place. 17 million people voted for something else. And among those 17 million people, they wanted vastly different things. So some wanted some wanted just a free trade deal with the EU. Some, some wanted uh, single market access. Some people wanted a no deal at all. Those three things can't all happen at the same time. Yet we added their votes together against what 16 million people voted for. There is no Brexit that more that 16 million people voted for because they all wanted different things. And now we're here pretending that it's an actual majority. Thank you, Femi. I, I, I know so much now. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> I'm, I'm powerful. <laughs> okay, so vote, vote, vote. Vote, vote, vote. European elections. Together. Vote, vote, vote. vote, vote. vote. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Girls share. Next part of the podcast, Girls Share. I normally dedicate this part of the podcast to my lovely listeners and their amazing submissions. But given the fact that we all want to know what the hell is going on with Brexit, Mm -hmm. I thought we'd do a little Instagram Mm Q&A. I asked my Instagram community to send us their questions. So I'd love it if you can help answer them. I mean, I won't. I mean, maybe I will. Go for it. No, I won't. (laughs) This This is the test. Okay, so question numero uno. Will I be able to live in other European countries after we exit? Yeah, so that's... If the, we exit. Yeah, if we exit. That's the, that's the thing. So right now, you as a member of the EU, as, as well as a citizen of the EU, have the automatic rights to live, work and love in 31 countries across Europe. That's the 28 countries of the EU and the other countries like Norway that are also in the single market. Now, that is, that is your right by birth. There are no work permits you need to apply for, no nothing. Now, in theory... You can apply for a work permit uh, in, in another EU country if we leave the EU. However, you will be competing uh, based on what each individual country decides that they want to, uh, what, what, they, what, they, what they want. So, for example, the UK, as I said before, our current plan is to make it, it's to put a £30,000 salary cap on people coming to this country, which means that if another, if another EU country decides to do the same, Unless you're you're moving there as a high skilled worker planning to make at least thirty thousand pounds, you will not get your work permit accepted. So you may so even if you're able to go live there for a little bit, you might not be able to work there. Um. So I mean that's the thing. It's called free movement because it's free, um. And that's what you'd be losing with Brexit. So you could possibly do it, but you need to be. Uh, there's a certain amount of privilege that will come with your ability to do it. Numero two. Will this make holidays more expensive it already has uh right now the value of the pound uh well you would have seen in 2016 it shot down um so our pound is literally worth less means the money in your pocket is worth less both in the uk and especially because it's it's gone down lower than the euro's gone down uh, which means that now when you spend money in the rest of the eu uh your your money will go a lot less far numero three what will happen to Europeans without visas living in the UK? Did we answer that already? Sort of. Um, yeah. Next one. Numero four. Well, we kind of answered that as well. Why does Britain want to leave the EU? We answered that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the main reason people wanted to leave the EU were about uh, sovereignty, controlling the country, um, 
controlling immigration for some people, not all, and the idea that we should be taking back control of our money because we send money to the EU. But as I mentioned before, the economic damage of not sending that money outweighs that. So yeah, those are the main reasons. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. I should also mention another one. Um, uh, One of the reasons why people wanted wanted to leave the EU was this idea that the EU was undemocratic or a dictatorship. Now, the U. Okay, so let let me just explain that. There's a video which I've done online, which you can see on on my Twitter page, um, which basically explains how the EU makes its laws. So, the heads of government of all the 28 EU countries they meet together in what's called the European Council. And they meet there twice every six months and they basically set the general policy direction of the EU. So they come up with the general ideas, the policy direction, which direction should the EU be going. The commission, which is made up of commissioners who are appointed by the heads of government and also need to be approved by the directly elected European Parliament, they come up with proposals for laws that might might basically go in that direction that has been set by the heads of government. So you've got like Theresa May, for example, setting the policy direction then it goes down to the commissioners who come up with proposals to make that happen. And then those proposals get, then get set to the European Parliament, which is made up of MEPs, members of the European Parliament, who we elect directly every five years. For example, we did so in 2014, and we're about to do so on Thursday next week. Uh, well, Thursday this week, because it's, it's going on Monday. Yeah. Um, and then those proposals are then amended, which I changed, uh, approved or rejected completely by the democratically and directly elected members of the European Parliament. So that's how the EU makes its laws. You'll get the accusations that it's undemocratic because people say that the commissioners aren't directly elected, whereas in fact they are um, appointed by heads of government. So basically you elect a head of government, so we elect like Theresa May, and she then chooses a commissioner, and it's not a direct link with the people, so they say that that's not good enough. But ultimately the laws are all passed by the directly elected European Parliament, and they get changed by the European Parliament. And so anything that comes out of the European Parliament has the approval of the, the people who are representing the people of Europe. So that's that. Numero five. And this is actually, I'm going to take out a question. I think this is a really important question. How will it affect our tuition fees? I think that's good for people to know. Yeah. Because I read that and I had no idea. It's likely that there'll be more pressure to increase tuition fees if we left the EU. On the basis that right now the UK is the largest recipient of funding from the Horizon 2020 program, which is basically a common pool of money which the EU countries put together um, to fund research. Uh, and so UK universities are massive recipient benefit, benefits, benefit massively from that. Um, and so if we were to lose that, um, we weren't part of that program, uh, there'd be less money in the kitty for UK universities. And so they'd want to pull that money from somewhere else. So either the standard of education will fall or they'd have to charge more for their education. Numero six. How will it affect our future in terms of employment? I mean, you've asked... Yeah, to a certain extent. Um, So if we're no longer a logical base of European distribution because we're no longer part of the European market, then it no longer makes sense to create jobs and create factories in this country because you may as well put it in a place that's more closely tied to the rest of Europe. So France, Germany, etc. And also... If we lose the right to, to work in other countries, then that means that jobs will leave this country and we won't even be able to follow them. So that's a double whammy for, for, for British citizens. Thank you very much, Femi. And may, I think, and you've already answered this, but our listeners really like the personal. Numero seven, does it scare you personally? Uh, yeah. Um, I am I am scared. 
because if we leave the EU with the deal that's been negotiated, we have a situation where Brexit voters don't like the Brexit we've got and Remain voters don't like the Brexit we've got and they will blame each other. Brexit voters will say Remainers ruin Brexit. Remainers will say Brexit voters ruin the country. And that is an anger that will never, ever go away. And so all the anger that you've seen over the past few years just gets worse and worse until, yeah, for the rest of our lives, basically. If we leave with no deal, um, A, uh, British Medical Association, so the highest medical authority in the country, says a no-deal Brexit would be catastrophic for the NHS. That means thousands of people die. Over, 30, over 50 years, thousands of people dead. If, if, the, if an organization like the British Medical Association is using words like catastrophic about the NHS, there's a death toll there. And once people start to lose loved ones because of what their next-door neighbor voted for, mm-hmm. our country will be torn apart. On top of that, you've got the issues regarding Northern Ireland and the fact that it would destroy the peace, peace process there. I'm terrified. Um, and regarding just the way conversation has gone. Um, Now, I'm doing what I'm doing because, as I just said, I felt that given that I studied this topic, given that I have an ability to explain these things quite easily, I had an obligation to get involved. Um, And as I mentioned with the British Medical Association, if there's lives on the line, I'm just one guy. The math says I have to do it, morally speaking. But... Right now, we're in a situation where Joe Cox, an MP who was murdered in 2016 because of her pro-European views, uh, she was against Brexit, and she was murdered by a white nationalist. Now, when I think about my own position, um, I'm on the TV on a regular basis. I'm considered to be a threat to Brexit, and I'm black on top of that. The math says that this is going to be a dangerous period for me, but it's necessary because I'm looking at the two avenues of Brexit, a Brexit where we're all at each other's throats because it's not the right Brexit or a Brexit which is a no-deal Brexit which destroys lives and the peace process and UK businesses. And this is an absolute that it has to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and even this idea that we can just sit back and let Brexit happen and, and then it's because we're so bored of Brexit, this idea of being bored of Brexit I get that. I've had to deal with Brexit for the past three years, day in, day out. I was 25 when I started started campaigning around Brexit. I'm 29 now. I've got thinning hair. It's taken up my entire 20s. I, I, I hate this topic. Mm-hmm. But if you are bored of Brexit, simply letting Brexit happen is your worst plan. Because if we leave the EU um, this year, we haven't got the trade deal yet. We've got the exit deal. We, so if we leave with no deal, we still have to negotiate a trade deal. If we leave with even with the deal, we've only got the preliminary deal, which we're, we're still negotiating the actual deal after that. Over two years. Which, well, two, two, after two years. Uh, yeah, two, two years two years to negotiate it, but we won't have finished the trade deal yeah, in, yeah. In, in two years. Those things, the sort of trade deal we need would take up to seven, ten years to negotiate, mm-hmm. which means that for the next seven to ten years, you will see Brexit on your news channels day in, day out. The same arguments being hashed oh, we're, we're negotiating this deal, but this deal means we follow the rules. Oh, my sovereignty, my sovereignty, my sovereignty. You'll see the same arguments day in, day out. If you are bored of Brexit, you cannot let Brexit happen. It should be your boredom fueling you to get involved in this in this issue. Thank you, Femi. I'm just going to keep on saying thank you. <laughs> Girls, listen.
Next, we've got Girls Listen. Femi, um, the Girls Talk podcast is first and foremost about helping my listeners, which is why I always ask my guests to share their tool of strength for them. And, you know, you just said you've been campaigning on this topic for a long, long time. What is your tool of strength in this chaotic time? What It can be anything. It can be a quote, song lyrics, mantra, poem. Yeah, um, that's that's easy for me. So I am a massive Buffy fan. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the greatest show of all time. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm not I'm not even I'm not even embarrassed. I am proud to say that it's basically the, the greatest love letter to feminism ever written. The guy behind it, he basically saw horror show after horror film uh, whereby the witless blonde walks into an alley, the monster attacks, and it, and she gets eaten. And he thought, wouldn't it be cool if she walks into the alley, monster attacks, and she kicks his ass? That was the basic premise of it. And one of the um, quotes that I really love is, nothing in the world is the way it ought to be. It's harsh and cruel, but that's why there's us. doesn't matter where we come from, what we've done or suffered, or even if we make a difference. We live as though the world were as it should be to show it what it can be. And that is basically making the point that things are difficult. The world is hard. Things are going wrong in the world. And you might feel that there's no point in keeping going because things are so wrong. But if if that's the case, it's even more important that we keep fighting to make it better. Because otherwise, there is no hope that things can get better. Uh, the shorter version, which is also in a Buffy spinoff, which is Angel, is if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. And that's pretty much what I live my life by. I like to wrap up our conversation with what we've learned from today so our listeners feel like they've learned something too. I mean, we definitely have throughout this whole episode. Can I ask you to share what you've taken from our conversation, what you're going to leave here with? I mean, I don't know if there's anything you really... Well, I mean... You educated I, me. I, 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 can, I can see that people want to know more about this issue. I can see that people um, are desperate for information on how this is going to affect them because this is the biggest thing in our country. There's a reason why it's dominated politics for the last three years and people really want to get involved. And so what we can learn from this is that we need to get involved. When we, we sat back and let 2014 happen when Nigel Farage won the European elections, we sat back and let Brexit happen when, when, when Nigel Farage's project took over the country. We cannot sit back now. And that is what's happening on, on Thursday to try to be, why everyone needs to vote in those European elections and vote for parties that are constructive, not the Brexit party that has no manifesto and is led by a racist. And something that, you know, I've learned, I can't really pinpoint it right now because I've literally been learning from start to finish, but something that really scares me and something that I spoke to my sister about last night is, you know, and we just have to look at Alabama to realise that it seems to me that we are following in the footsteps of Trump's America. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Nigel Farage is so close to Trump. You've seen them. They hang out together. He, he's always defending him. And he's he's the British Trump. Um, I mean, he, Nigel Farage, it doesn't matter what, what he says, the horrible things he said. Could it be that, I mean, he, he said, when I'm asked about it, are we going to be richer or poorer with Brexit? And my answer is, what price democracy? What price freedom? What price our identity as, as a country? He's saying there is no price he wouldn't be willing to make the country pay. He even went on record saying Brexit was never going to solve any of our domestic problems. He's advocated in the past uh, switching to an insurance-based system, a private NHS for healthcare in this country. His views, and then of course there's the racism, his views are abhorrent 
but it doesn't matter what he says because he's the one that's kicking the establishment. He's the one that people who are upset with the establishment, rightfully so, can see as their champion. And so it, he's going to bring in just horrible views. And we've seen with what happened, with, what happened in Alabama is, is just Trump in, in action. I mean, he's, he went on record. He was asked uh, on an interview before he was elected, should, should women be punished for abortion? He said, um, there has to be some form of punishment. And the guy was like, what, a, a fine, a prison sentence? What? Well, there has to be some form of punishment. And what about for the guy? Uh, different people, different feelings. Um, I'd say no. They're involved. <laughs> and those horrible views led to, led to what happened in Alabama. And Nigel Farage is just spreading bigotry across this country. And, you know, something that we discussed yesterday, um, I discussed with my sister, is that, you know, obviously I'm like... In full, I'm in full support. I cannot even, I'm speechless when I think, and I'm saddened so deeply when I think about what's happening in America. But I don't, what I, but I do not take my eye off the ball of what's happening here. here. You know, it's so easy and you hear it all the time. Oh my God, America's fucked. America's fucked. No, no, we could be fucked. Yeah. 100%. 100%. We could be fucked. Uh, no, Nigel Farage is a is a racist without a manifesto who is in who has um the country by the small and cuddlies. He is he's a, he's the one in control. He's he's, he's settling the he's, he's setting the, the agenda. He knows he's taken out the two major parties by this Brexit. He, he's thrown at them. I mean, he he made Brexit happen and as a result, Labour, the Labour Party, its members, its voters massively pro second referendum, but its leadership is hesitating. Um the Conservative Party um, massively um, uh, pro Brexit, but their but their leader is sticking to a deal that it knows most Brexit voters hate. His Brexit has torn apart the U- UK politics, and he is riding in as the one that seems to be championing the the anti-establishment vibe. He is a major major threat to the very fabric of our society. And what I my ask to everybody who represents liberal values, compassion for not just people who happen to look like you, but for everybody across the country is you need to show up and tell him he is wrong, that we are better than that as a country. You need to tell absolutely everyone you know that on Thursday next week, on Thursday this week, the 23rd of May, you need to show up and you need to vote and you need to make sure the Brexit party loses. I don't care who you vote for. Look at the parties. You've got the, if you're in, if you're in England, you've got the Greens, the Lib Dems, you've got, you could vote Labour, but their policies on this are questionable. Um, you've, in, in Scotland, you've got the SN, you've got the SNP. In Wales, you've got Plaid Cymru. Please show up to vote because Nigel Farage should not and must not be the face of this country. Girls take action. We finish off with girls take action. People take action. 2019, Femi, is our year at Girls Talk to take action. I think the conversation we've had has definitely fired up a new feeling in my belly, and I'm sure it has to all our listeners. I think it's pretty obvious what we have to do, but I want you to say it again. What do we have to do? Please tell us what myself and my listeners can do to get involved with Brexit. What we can do to get the best result what we need to do is we need to make sure we vote and we need to make sure we're talking to absolutely everybody in our lives um because there are too many people that think oh politics doesn't really affect me i mean the thing i I go to schools on a regular basis and i ask them i ask young people who cares about politics and often i'll get very few few hands going up and then i'll ask them all right who cares about how much stuff costs in the shops 
who cares about whether or not you get a job after, after this? So that is politics. Mm-hmm. That is politics. It, it, uh, if, you, if you are not taking a part in politics, then it's other people who are going to decide whether or not things are expensive in the shops. It's other people who are going to decide whether or not you get a job when you leave, when you leave school or university. And they do not necessarily have your best interests at heart. Nigel Farage and all of his cronies should not be making those decisions for you. So I'm telling you to tell everyone in your life that they need to vote because we need to be better than Nigel Farage. And so uh, as far as who you need to reach out, reach out to, Our Future, Our Choice, um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we're OFOC, O-F-O-C, Our Future, Our Choice, OFOC Brexit. Um, and I'm Femi underscore sorry, so F-E-M-I underscore S-O-R-R-Y. Um, and the Vote for Your Future campaign is also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram which is basically getting young people fired up to vote in the European elections because we are the future of this country. It should be our choice. And right now, uh, I mean, just ask yourself if Nigel Farage has your best interests at heart. So let's say it again together. Vote, vote, vote. vote. On Thursday, the the 23rd 23rd of May. May. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So thank you so much, Femi. Thank you for having me. I can't, wow. Thank you so much for breaking it down for me and hopefully for my listener. I mean, I have, without a doubt, I know you have. It is, it's so necessary and it is so easy to say I'm not interested in politics or to be frightened about the complications that the media throw at mm, us and yeah. the, the how, how hard they make it for us to understand sometimes. Yeah. But you broke it down. It's important. This is our future. This is our choice. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that was quite good. Thank you. <laughs> so, mad love, Femi. Big up, Femi. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you on Thursday. See you Thursday. And to all my lovely listeners, mad, 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 mad amounts of love. We may have stopped talking, but that doesn't mean you have to. Talk to us on our Instagram at Girls Talk or send us your poetry, essays, stories, artwork or anything else you want to share at girlstalk.com. Mad love to Nike for helping us to create such great chat and even better actions for our girls. We are always here and we're always listening. I'm Adjua Boa, this was the Girls Talk podcast and you are amazing.